This archival program of Design Matters with Debbie Millman was produced for Voice America Internet Radio. New programs with better audio quality are now being produced for Design Observer. You can subscribe in the iTunes Store or at the Observer Media Channel on Design Observer. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Back in 1998, I didn't see the breakup of my marriage coming. Looking back on it now, I often compare it to an earthquake. It happened suddenly and without warning. It caused tremendous damage and subsequently left nothing the same. There's something rather formidable and spectacular about how random life can be and the momentous speed at which things can change, whether you are ready for those changes or not. Bracing yourself for a change is a bit like the ironclad seatbelts you must wear on a roller coaster, barriers to assure demise that you are slammed into over and over, the force of which diminishes the sheer magnitude of the experience. Preparing oneself for change ultimately dilutes the unexpectedness of any one particular moment as you brace yourself against the fear and anxiety with distraction. I remember the day I knew my marriage was over. I laid on my bed without moving for an entire day. I was in shock. I was catatonic. I was heartbroken. I couldn't imagine a way out of the sorrow and anguish, the sense of failure and doom. It took years for most of it to slip away, and the subsequent despair I both felt and caused in its wake will always haunt me. Eight years later, I realized that I did not handle the loss all that well, and I will always regret that. But another realization has materialized over time. It's a well, if that hadn't happened, then this wouldn't have happened, and then that couldn't have happened kind of continuum. In the grand scheme of things, I find that this is essentially the design of life. It might start with a bad choice and a wrong turn, and then suddenly what is on the screen in front of you is perfect, and it seems like it was meant to be, and everything that led to this outcome was, well, somehow pre-designed. But maybe this is an inherently weak explanation, more of a rationale of sorts. It seems to take choice out of the equation, and somehow I can't accept that everything can be fully pre-designed or predestined. But then love comes around again, and then in the early thrill of it, all comes the feelings that this is just too wondrous to ever be anything but meant to be. And the cycle begins or ends or takes a circuitous route once again. Ultimately, I think it is all about patience and perspective. It sounds like an easy way out, I think, but I do believe that there is something to be said for context. I was on an airplane yesterday flying back and forth to Pittsburgh. I was seated near the back of the plane behind a couple with three children, all boys and all under the age of five. They nearly filled up the two rows in front of me. Only one seat remained unfilled by this brood. As it was early in the morning, the kids were cranky and hungry and restless and bored, and most of the passengers passing them by were business travelers off to Heinz or GlaxoSmithKline or one of the other business, big businesses in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 
But this family was only stopping in Pittsburgh en route to Florida, and the kids were impatient and irritable. One was crying. Another kept repeating, okay, okay, okay. And the third was looking for the toy car he accidentally dropped. The window seat in that particular aisle was free, and as the passenger who was scheduled to sit there approached the row and saw what awaited him there, well, his eyes widened, and that is a bit of an understatement. He quickly scanned the rest of the plane and hurriedly told the noisy family that he would find a seat further back towards the back of the plane. I was tempted to follow him, but realized that I had too much stuff to move, it was too early, and I was too lazy. As the kids loudly cheered the stranger's departure, the dad looked at his wife, shrugged his shoulders, and calmly said, We are the business traveler's kryptonite. I chuckled and nodded to myself. A few minutes later, we took off. As the plane lifted up, the three boys claimed in unison, all of a sudden, Blast off! Blast off! We are blasting off! I realized the children were flying for the first time, and I felt a sense of wonder as I witnessed a moment that these little boys would likely not forget for the rest of their lives. It occurred to me that my uprooted kryptonite friend was missing this, and I was reminded that magic can be found even in the most unusual of experiences. I guess this is another, well, if that hadn't happened, then this wouldn't have happened, and that couldn't have happened kind of continuum. And I think that this is what life is, a series of mistakes and chance encounters and curious experiences that shape us and scar us and tease us and give us hope and joy and lots of tears. Everything we do, everything we touch, everything we design has the opportunity to move us, to inform us, and transform what is ahead. Every opportunity and every design can be held to these connections, and the perspective it holds in our minds and in our hearts, in turn, they give rise to new perspectives and new designs and new experiences. And no matter how bleak a situation or the world or the day may seem, it does offer opportunities and optimism. We only need design them and then believe in them. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on this very strange Friday the 13th. My guest today is the wonderful, fabulous Rick Valicenti. Before we get started with today's interview, let me tell you a little bit more about him in my ever-so-fawning-like style. Rick Valicenti is the founder and principal of the Chicago-based design firm Thirst, where he has been creating and designing for over 20 years. His work has been featured in every major graphic design publication, including cover stories in How, Step, I, Emigre, and Idea. He is also the author of the extraordinary book, Emotion as Promotion, Rick has lectured about design on four continents and was awarded the prestigious AIGA Fellow Award by the AIGA Chicago chapter, acknowledging his influence on design, contributions to the community, and overall lifetime achievement. Thirst has won awards for design excellence from everyone. So welcome, Rick. Ooh, I told you it was fawning. Oh, you're so good. <laughs> so so good. That was such a great... Introduction. Oh, thank you. So moved, really. Thank you. And uh, you know, I thought it was um, courageous in a way to put it out there for everybody. Oh well, you know me—that's how I am. Well, I I know you, and and uh, 
That's true. We actually don't really know each other very well. We know each other, and so that all... We just have lots of wonderful friends in common, which we'll talk about later. We have been connected. But I just thought that was a uh, a demonstration of a communicative uh, moment. That if we all practice that in all of our things that we put out there, how interesting and world might be. I hate to get all new age on us too quickly, but I was just kind of stirred by that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I was, I, speaking of stirred, I was very stirred about a month ago when I saw you speak at a New York AIGA event, and you talked very candidly about an event last year that profoundly changed and impacted your life, and yet... You never told the audience what it was that actually happened, so I'm going to start out straight away by asking, what happened? Well, I suppose in the world of quid pro quo, I compliment you for being courageous, and so one must sort of step up. Well, right before you do the stepping, my my technology people at Voice America are asking me to ask you to please speak louder because they can't hear you as well as we want to. Is this better? Um, I'll wait until they tell me, but as loud as you can. Okay, I'll talk as loud as I can. Okay, thank you. Um, in, uh, on actually December 27, 2004, after 30 years of marriage, I came crashing to my knees and discovered that I could no longer uh, stay in that marriage. Wow. Yeah, and it was a really long time. It was a long time uh, certainly coming, but it was a long, beautiful time uh, since the late 70s. 30 years of marriage. Yeah. So was that the, in December 2004, was that the realization? Did the realization realization, end the... Right. It had been uh, maturing as a a decision, but mostly I was faced with the, the fear of having to give up all the things that defined me. Right. And to be sort of left completely alone without a sense of who I was. Isn't it that interesting that, that marriage somehow defi- ends up defining us in quite the way that it does? I went through the same experience in, in, as uh, when I was getting divorced, but um, we're talking about you, not me. Yes. Um, so, so you had this realization. Did you act on the realization? Did it, was it something that you felt coming? Was it just sort of an earthquake like mine where it just happened? No, I did not have the uh, earthquake moment of surprise. Uh, Mine was just a kind of perplexing vibe that I had been carrying with me for a long time, like, hmm, I don't know whether this is because I'm unhappy at work or I'm not completely happy at home or I am sort of not managing or navigating my midlife situation so well. What is the deal? And uh, as I started to look, certainly I looked at all of the places besides my marriage. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Linda, who I was married to, uh, in so many ways uh, was a big part of me, was a major part of me, was, you know, maybe even the love of my life. I don't know. But I do know that uh, the definition of myself started to uh, change after it had started to erode. And I was not happy with who I was uh, sort of presenting as I looked into the mirror. 
I was not really happy being in my own skin. I didn't know whether, you know, the changes needed to be because of someone else or whether I needed to make those changes with myself. And I just, I, you know, I've learned as, I've learned a million times and somehow forgotten that uh, any change has to originate with, with oneself. You know, that's sort of the, the big lesson. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have embarked on that process of change with great uh, vigor and enthusiasm and zeal and I'm enjoying it. And I'm coming out in a way that is rewarding and refreshing. And uh, if I can use my artifact, the things that I make, as evidence of who I am, I'm looking and I'm saying, oh, my, they're actually reflecting a nice sense of joy and curiosity and optimism that I hadn't seen in my work in some time. Mm-hmm. And how is that manifesting? Give me an example of something that you've seen that in. Well, I can uh, tell you in my my personal work, which happens right alongside of the professional work, because I don't uh, separate so much the day job and the night job. It's kind of a blur. It's life. It is life, exactly. And, you know, after 25-plus years of, of practice and practice on my own, I am at that... Are we at a commercial break? Yeah, but... You can finish your sentence. Oh, okay. Well, we'll uh, let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman and on Voice America Business. I am Debbie Millman. My guest today is Rick Valicenti. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages. Please don't go away. Listen wherever you are. 24-hour business and financial news. Solid, focused, and informed. The leader in business talk. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Become a better leader. Build a great career. Learn how to successfully own and run a business. It's time for Common Sense Advice with the Common Sense Guy, hosted by Bud Belanich. With wit and an irreverent attitude towards business, life, and the business of life, Bud, the Common Sense Guy Belanich, and his interesting accomplished guests feature common sense advice on leading people, building your career, and starting and running your own business. Tune in every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel for the Common Sense Guy with Bud Belanich and walk away with common sense ideas to use right away. The Common Sense Guy, leadership, career enhancement, entrepreneurship, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Tune into Small Business Trends Radio with Anita Campbell every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Each week, Anita and expert guests provide a big-picture view of the small business market, identifying the trends and major events driving the robust growth of the small business market. Whether you are a small business owner or a company of any size desiring to sell small businesses or reach the small business market with a product or service, Small Business Trends Radio is your resource for trends that influence the global small business market. Right here on the Bottom line for business talk, Voice America Business. Achieve total wealth management. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern on Business America Radio. Three Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a values-based approach to comprehensive total wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road of financial independence. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, businessamericaradio.com. The bottom line in business talk. 
Voice America Business. Welcome back to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you would like to be a caller on the show, dial toll-free at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, that's 1-866-233-7861. And now, back to the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3 o'clock Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the incredible designer, Rick Balasenti. Our lines are open, and apparently we do have a caller on the line already. We have Mark from Vancouver. Thank you for calling Design Matters. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Rick. Hi, Mark. Hi, um, Rick. We. uh, Oh, by the way, Debbie, I totally have a girl crush on you. (laughs) (laughs) You You don't sound like a girl. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. I'm a, there's a little bit of girl in me. Uh, Rick, for Rick? <laughs> no, he just called to talk to you, Debbie. <laughs> no, no, Rick. You guys Rick uh, I actually had the pleasure of, of, of um, hearing you speak at the GDC event, uh, I guess a little over a year ago in Vancouver, and was really looking forward to hearing your perspectives on transformation and, and uh, losing faith in design formulas. And I think that the term you used was the real human presence. And it sounds... Found myself and, and a number of my, you know, cohorts in the audience with a sense of want at the end of that presentation. Thought maybe this, you could come back to that and, and tell us as you're discussing these personal perspectives, which I'm really enjoying. How uh, you're, you're as a designer, a lot of your work tends to seem less functional and communication oriented, and much more fine art and expressive. And that might actually be a factor of what you're discussing. But maybe I thought I'd just ask you that the difference, you know, design, art, art design, both. Maybe. Uh, what do you think, uh, Mark? Let me let me see if I can riff on that. I remember that event last February in Vancouver because I'm staring right now at the poster that I created along with uh, Marion Banshees, who did the backside of that poster, and that was in February, just a few months after, like I uh, referred to it for myself, I went to my knees. I was uh, lost, confused. I was. Uh, those things personally and professionally. I went to Vancouver to see if I could just uh, speak out loud some of the things that were making no sense inside because, you know, I'm aware that the energy uh, that I hold affects the, the things that I make, you know. My awareness and my being is a reflection of my own energy. My per- self-perception determines my behavior. And so I, I went there, and you're right, so much of the work that I presented that evening looked like it was work that was just self-expression. But the truth of the matter is, the work I showed in Vancouver, and I remember consciously making that presentation, was the all the work that gets done in the studio. And all of that work whether it is done with personal motivations or professional commission, informs the other. And it is that uh, that path of, of, of allowing those personal exercises to inform the professional commission that gives birth to, I think, a different kind of output. And in that presentation, I said I believed the next destination 
therefore designed to aspire to, is one that transcends style, where communication really does reach out in a way that perhaps with uh, design being so much in service to business and so much of a commodified practice in many respects has lost sight of, a kind of design that really does communicate, really does behave in a compelling fashion. And in order to do that, the, the sort of secret sauce or the missing ingredient might just be the presence of the communicator in the act of communication, something that can transcend those moments where you go, oh, I've seen that before, therefore I assume I know what it means. Something that actually reaches out and doesn't feel like it's been written, rewritten, edited, and sucked from all of its life force. Sucked from all of its life force. Boy, can I relate to that. Um, you know, and, and, and so that, I think, is the real human presence. And I showed some examples, but since then, as I have uh, got back to my feet, I know that there's some... Uh, exer- experiments, I should say, in the co- in the uh, commissioned arena that have come out of this studio, and a small studio it is, that really do satisfy the problems that design faces, you know, its objectives, and at the same time makes communication really compelling. Well, I think it's really interesting. Um, one of the things that I wrote down when you were talking before um, was the phrase artifact reflecting self. And it leads me to the question, um, and I'm not entirely sure that Mark's question has been fully answered, but we'll, I'll ask that in a moment. <laughs> I'll go back to that in a moment, rather. How much of oneself should be evident in design? Well, you know, I think that's always the uh, uh, sticky point in our practice and in our discourse surrounding the practice. I do want to say, though, that our presence can't help but be reflected. For instance, you know, if if we limit our thought, then the experiences we have are limited as a result. If we enter design with interest, odds are what comes out of that process of making and thinking about design will be interesting. If we enter design with greed, what's going to come out is greed. If we enter with disrespect, disrespect comes out. And the same can be true if we enter a process with respect, then the artifact is respectful. If we enter it with an artful spirit, then what comes out is something quite artful and imaginative. But sadly, if we enter the design process with formula, what might come out is formula. And, you know, that's not a good thing, especially when we can put it on press and millions of copies get done or we put it onto the web and, you know, anyone who wants can go there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if they encounter formula disguised as communication, or I should say communication contaminated with formula or disrespect or greed, oh, boy, we're just sending some really wrong messages around uh, the world. And as a result, we can see the kind of polarized culture and world we live in as a result of this. So maybe the the kind of miracle workers are, in fact, the communicators. 
Miracle Workers as Communicators. That's beautiful, Rick. Well, I want to thank Mark for calling. We have another caller on the line. I think that you happen to be very popular in Vancouver right now, Rick. We have Heidi from Vancouver on the line. Oh. Heidi, thank you for calling Design Matters. Oh, hello. Yes, I'm Heidi. And I want to say that um, in this book, I have seen the project called um, Just My Type. Yeah, and I think it is brilliant, and it was way ahead of its time. Yes, it, you you know the project I mean? Yes, I do. Yes. Uh, but um, this um, lady, I think she did not do a very good job of this project making these letter forms with her body. I think she is not very typographically inclined. No? And I would like to say that if you would like to do this project again for 2006, I would like to make this project with you because um, I have been practicing this letter form with my body, and I think I would do a much better job of this with you. Well, well, um, Heidi, thank you for the offer. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first. This is the first, and so uh, after your show, Debbie, I'll be uh, I'll, waiting I'll for my mail. And, and Heidi, <laughs> my email is rick at 3st.com. <laughs> That's numeral three, letter form S and T.com. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for calling. Can I ask one um, thing? So, Rick, have you ever done this with your own body? Because you have different body parts, and maybe there are some letters you make more different or more easy, like maybe the Q. <laughs> uh, perhaps, but I do think my body would be sort of one of those, uh, it would end up looking like Cooper Extra Bold, italic. It has just enough atrophy to uh, be kind of one of those uh, soggy serif fonts. <laughs> well, thank you, Heidi, for calling. <laughs> Rick, I wanted to ask you about what you just said um, in answering Mark's question about one's presence being reflected in one's work as well. And in as much as I think that that sounds like a very noble aspiration, I'm wondering what the world would be like if one's own personal presence was reflected in all of the brands around us. What kind of havoc that might wreak on personal choice, perception. Now, I'm not saying it might be bad havoc or good havoc, but I'm just curious as to what uh, your feeling is about presence reflected in the mass market, personal presence reflected in the mass market. Well, I must say that to some degree it already is. And So tell me how you, why you feel that way. I don't think there's a design that can be fashioned without the designer or design team's sensibilities at play. Whether it is the uh, very modern, slightly human five characters for the new Kodak identity, or whether it is the sort of, um, I don't know, beach ball, kid-like aesthetic in the new AT&T identity, I don't think those are without the designer's presence and sensibilities. Well, I, I think that there is a lot to be said. But it's a different said. kind of expression. You know, it, it's not personal expression in the sense that it's uh, brush-painted or it's from somebody's journal. It's not that kind of expression. But certainly their sensibilities are at play because given the brief, uh, I'm sure, and given the scope of that kind of work, they must have gone through hundreds of variations on the theme. 
Well, we're going to come back to that after our break because I really want to talk to you about the Kodak logo. Um, oh, I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am Debbie Millman, and my scintillating guest today is designer Rick Valicente. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages. Please don't go away. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Mind Your Business with Danielle Hampson talks about the nuts and bolts of starting, running, and expanding a business. From time management, leadership, sales, marketing, and customer service to office management, using technology, business plans, accounting, taxes, and networking. Danielle and her expert guests share their years of experience on a variety of topics. Tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel for Mind Your Business with Danielle Hampson. Useful tips, authoritative advice, creative solutions right here on the bottom line in business talk voice america business get the competitive edge with your sales and marketing approach by tuning in to sell more with the sandler system with host dave Matson, broadcasting every monday at 10 a.m pacific time 1 p.m eastern on voice america business utilizing the sandler sales institute methodologies dave shares honest no-nonsense sales and management techniques that get results while preserving your self-respect Sell More with the Sandler System is perfect for sales managers and salespeople who sell over the telephone as well as presidents and business owners who manage them. This show offers a comprehensive approach to selling, the mastery of revolutionary techniques, and an entirely new attitude towards the sales and management processes. That's Sell More with the Sandler System with host Dave Matson. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. You work hard, and you need to take time to relax and rejuvenate yourself. Travel is one of the most effective and gratifying ways to achieve this. Tune in to Travel Connections with Judy every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Your host, Judy Jackson, will teach you how you can enhance your lifestyle through travel. Travel Connections will also bring you the latest news on what's hot and exciting in vacation and travel trends. So tune in to Travel Connections with Judy every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on Voice America Business. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Live from the Empire State Building, you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the only talk radio show on the air focusing on issues relating to graphic design, branding, and culture. Now we can add dating to that. I am Debbie Millman, your host, and my guest today is the fabulous designer Rick Valicenti. Our phone lines are open. Please call us if you want to. And um, Rick, 
before the break, we were talking about the Kodak logo and whether or not one's presence or a designer's presence can be reflected in mass market design. And I know that brand integration did the identity for Kodak. They also happened to do the identity for the campaign for New York to be in the 2012 Olympics. I don't know if you've seen that. I also know that they did the wonderful Hershey store um, in Times Square. Would you say that if you looked at all three of those designs, you could see a constant style or a, a continuum between those three projects and the presence of the designer reflected? I think the answer is yes and no. No, you can't see it uh, stylistically, but I have the luxury of knowing Brian Collins, and I can so detect Brian's uh, passionate enthusiasm for American pop culture and the narratives, and I can and his uh, love affair with design. I can see those companies sort of embracing all of the above. They know their place in design's history. They know their place in America's history. And uh, he is one of our, you know, great, uh, somewhere between, you know, champions of design and snake oil salesmen. I don't know <laughs> which, but uh, I sense it, um, Brian Collins, you know. Mm-hmm. Even though he has a whole collection of some of the best talent practicing in America today, working under his, you know, uh, cloud called Brand Integration Group, there's something there that's kind of alive and kicking. Am I sad to see the Kodak logo disappear as I'm sad to see Saul Bass's logo and the UPS logo? Sure, but you know what? I'm going to make some limited edition pillows, and I'm going to sell them on a website called movingdesign.com, and people can buy these pillows, and they can snuggle up close to them, <laughs> and it'll be really great. And, you know, should some lawyer show up at my door from UPS or wherever and say, you know, we'd like you to stop selling these pillows there, sir, I'm going to say, can I interest you in a pillow? Mm. Cool. Oh. I love that. I love that. Well, I want to talk a little so bit about your work. look forward on design. Oh, please. Uh, um. I don't know if all of my listeners have had the incredible privilege of looking at Rick's book, Emotion as Promotion, but I really urge anybody that's listening to please get a copy of this book and and look at it. It is an extraordinary journey through the soul of a designer, an artist, a poet. And I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the things that you wrote in the book. Um, This is a quote. Uh, After almost two decades of beating my head against the wall, I've come to believe that the safe approach yields the most certain communication subversion. Tell me more about what you mean by that, both what your idea of safe work is and also what you mean by communication subversion. Uh, It's one of those quotes that I go, did I say that? That's pretty good. (laughs) Uh, Here's what I think I meant when when I uh, wrote that. I do know that uh, quite some time ago when I was in practice, and this is... uh, when design was really kicking up its heels, technology had empowered all of us to do things that perhaps we had not realized we could do in the past. And um, you know, we were able to stack things on top of each other without even thinking. It was really a kind of messy period of design, and typefaces got stretched and distorted, as did photos. And all of that made for a bit of chaos, a chaos that was really a mirror of what was going on in pop culture at the time. Uh, downside to that kind of visual complexity 
was that the viewer who would encounter it might have a hard time deciphering it. And even if the designer filled it with all of the best thoughts they could have, the interpretation might have been lost on a large percentage of the audience. So no matter what the designer had to say, they were speaking only to themselves. If there were smart people looking at their work, they were making them look stupid. So, How do you think that they were making them look stupid? Tell me more about that. Well, they were making them actually feel stupid, not look stupid. They were making them feel stupid because a smart person, unable to decipher something, feels like they didn't get it. You know, and if they don't get it and they're already kind of intelligent and predisposed to get it, that's a sad moment. So they did not get the reward for the, the risk they took to enter it. That's really interesting. Um, one of the things that Milton Glaser has often said about the iHeart New York logo is that it's a simple little puzzle that when people look at it, they get a real sort of visceral sense of success, feeling that they could figure it out, the I being the, the pronoun, the heart signifying love, and then the New York being the abbreviation. He's totally right, and that to me is the kind of simple, safe, graphic approach. It's not complex, but it does sort of work on so many levels once it's received. And uh, I don't know, I, I heard from Chi Perlman that I was making smart people feel stupid. And I suspect she was talking about herself as she tried to decipher some of my work that I thought was painfully simple to get. Well, I mean, I, that, that's, that's I a very, very sort of polarizing thing to say. I mean, making smart people feel stupid. There might be a perspective on that, that smart people are feeling challenged and then rise to the occasion to figure it out for themselves. I mean, I think that there's something extraordinarily powerful about being confronted with something that you don't understand and then forcing your way through to the other side to get there, to get it, and, and that is an incredibly fulfilling experience. Um, it, it absolutely is, and that's why you know great film and great music works on lots of levels. Design, however, uh, doesn't embrace that so clearly. Well, we have um, my favorite caller on the line. I love when Gregory calls. Gregory from New York, thank you for calling Design Matters. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Rick. Hi, Gregory. Um, my question is, do you have any thoughts or theories as to why um, huge corporations, you know, serious cultural identity corporations, change their logos, like Kodak, like UPS, like AT&T, which, by the way, I don't know, I, I don't think it's particularly clever to go from uppercase to lowercase, but in any case, uh, do you have any theories as to why they do that, and do you think that when that happens, that somehow that, that takes away cultural security among consumers? Cultural security, that is a wonderful phrase. It sure is. Uh, I do have a couple of thoughts on this, and here's how I interpret it. Every time I see one of those major corporations make a change, I'm aware of what I think goes on on the inside. I'm aware of a dynamic that takes place at a conference table where somebody says, you know what, we really need to refocus our business, and visual image might be an ingredient in our efforts to do that as part of our strategy. But I also think that when these institutions that we've grown very familiar with 
signal a change, whether it's a change of acquisition or a change in emphasis or in their output, uh, they're also mirroring, again, what's going on in pop culture. And we can look back at the uh, Kodak change. If we fast forward 10 years from now, we're going to look back and go, boy, that's exactly what the early 21st century looked and felt like. There it is. They captured that moment. I know there was a big brouhaha over this UPS change, but frankly, I look at the old one and I go, geez, that's awfully stodgy. That certainly looks like whenever that was done, 60s or 70s. My design history is not so great. But I look at the new one with all that kind of polished chrome and brass and go, it feels like right now. It does feel like right now. I wonder if it's going to have any type of staying power. I think that the nice thing about Paul Rand's logo was that it embodied a lot of charm and a lot of, um, it reflected, I think, a much more simple society, a simple culture, a simple way of, of communicating. Well, I think that's just the point. And today we probably don't have so much charm being put out there at the mega corporation level. Well, I think it will be interesting to look back on the body of work that's being created now in corporate America, whether it be the UPS logo, the AT&T logo, the Verizon logo, the Kodak logo. Mm -hmm. And, you know, students 50 years from now will look back on these logos, and I wonder what their opinion of of these logos will be. I know. I saw the the new AT&T campaign roll out here in Chicago, and uh, it's been pretty gray and, and dreary here of late. And these very colorful turquoise and tangerine-colored billboards are popping up with cute little words like productivity. And the O is the new beach ball. Yeah. And uh, I smile when I see it. I smile because they are, it's like, it's happy time. It's Yahoo time. It's Google time. We live in this kind of huge-ass cartoon (laughs) that's going on. And uh, (laughs) everything feels like a cartoon. You go through the grocery, it's a cartoon. And it's only when you go home and you open your New Yorker and you go, oh, maybe not everything's a cartoon, but the cartoons in here are really good. Right. (laughs) Well, it's a very sort of interesting flip coin of a cartoon. At least there's some sarcasm in those. But, you know, at the same time, there are those designers out there who are at odds with all of this. And they're young and they're old and they are feeling lost as a result. Well, when we come back from our break, I'd like to talk a little bit more about about that. Okay. Um, I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am Debbie Millman. My guest today is designer Rick Valicenti. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. The challenge of change comes as ramped up due to the advent of information age and the interconnectedness of global community. In a high-tech world, the ability to embrace change, adapt, and respond accordingly is key to personal and professional success. Talking Change with Ann Powers, airing every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, explores the hows, whys, and what to do when faced with change. Embrace the new reality, adopt transition into your personal power portfolio, and tune into Talking Change with Ann Powers every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time right here on the Bottom Line Business Talk, Voice America Business. 
Learn to thrive, not just survive in business and careers. Unleash your full potential and greatness with the Thrive Factor, unleashing your potential. With tactical coaches and success masters, hosts Dory Willer and Eva Gregory. Dory, Eva, and their masters of thriving expert guests inform, educate, elucidate, and inspire with leading-edge information. The Thrive Factor, unleashing your potential. With Dory Willer and Eva Gregory, broadcast each Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. The Thrive Factor. Success and inspiration at the click of a mouse. More and more business people recognize the importance of spirituality in their work. How do busy professionals discover what rings true for them? Embracing the journey with Karen Humphrey Salad explores what it means to be spiritually fulfilled in business and how to integrate spiritual direction into a career. Expert guests, authors, and inspiring speakers join Karen every week to discuss such issues as honesty, compassion, generosity, ethics, and integrity in the workplace. Take a positive step forward to greater life balance. Tune into Embracing the Journey with Karen Humphrey Salad, broadcasting every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. The bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Welcome back to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you would like to be a caller on the show, dial toll-free at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, that's 1-866-233-7861. And now back to the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3.46 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the charismatic designer, Rick Valicenti. Rick, let's talk a little bit about your work. We've been having, I think, a rather wonderful conversation, um, but I'd really like to know um, some more tangible, tactical things that Rick Valicenti is doing right now. Thanks, Debbie. Good question. Um, I'm quite proud of the fact that I don't really do anything. <laughs> that's, that's really the truth. I don't do anything. I spend a lot of time on the telephone, as I am right now. I spend a lot of time in the car driving to meetings. I spend a lot of time uh, thinking about people's work. But it's only occasionally that I sort of wrap my hands around the stylus and start to poke or start painting. Mm-hmm. And so uh, while that's my running joke, I also know I do a lot. And I yeah. do have a big impact on the work that gets created here. So much of my work, however, does happen at the conference table. And the conference table, to me, is just such an engaging place to to be. I love it whether there's one person at the other side or whether there's a whole body of people. I know I have a gift of being able to engage them and to encourage a spirit of collaboration that lasts well beyond the time we depart that table. Now, do you think that that success is due to... to um being incredibly gifted at explaining design and being able to persuade people to choose something that you feel is the right choice, or is it about the inherently good design or both? Well, I think I do have a gift for Gab, Mm. and I don't have a very good sort of uh, design vocabulary. I can't do the rap that I've heard done by so many really great... uh, research-centered designers. I cannot do that. 
But what I can do is I can speak from the heart, and I can let people know when I think something is uh, satisfying my meditation on rightness, you know. In other words, when something feels good to me, it's odds are it's going to feel pretty good to other people. And when I've gone into testing situations, that's usually proved fairly true. But I also enjoy those moments when I'm at the conference table where my inclination not to be a, a court jester, but my inclination to just be me usually delivers something that sometimes I don't even know is coming out of my mouth when it's coming out. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a good example. I was, uh, about this time last year actually, making a presentation to the College for Creative Studies in Detroit. And this is a conservatory art school, like Art Center, like RISD, and a few of, few of the others at the undergraduate level. And they have multi-disciplines. And they were interviewing designers from uh, this hemisphere to do their work. And they had brought in a couple of people from Bruce Mao's office and Carbone Smolin and VSA and, and Rick. And I think I was the last one. And they said, you know, uh, we had seen the portfolio and met with the others. Uh, what are you going to do for our school? And I said, well, to tell you the truth, I'm not going to do anything. And with that, I saw their jaws drop. And I went, oh, my God, did I say that? Did I say nothing? I'm going to do nothing? And I found myself backpedaling and, and discovering that I really did want to say nothing. I really did want to do nothing. I wanted all the words, all the images, all the personality to be as authentic and genuine and original to that school. I wanted no pictures that we took. I wanted no words that we wrote. I wanted no illustration that we created, no messages from the outside designer living in another state who was 54 years old and not going to art school. Mm. I wanted it to come right from them. And so the process that I started to sort of free associate right there at the meeting was about means to capture that kind of stuff. And at the end, the president put his hands on his head, which is the sort of body English for done. Eureka. Eureka sold this gig. He leaned back. He said, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you have my full support. Let's make this happen. And after that, we used everything from, you know, solid research at the high schools, high schools at inner city Detroit and at the affluent uh, Detroit suburbs. We did alumni interviews in various cities at their locations. We did uh, telephone conversations and in-person things. We were due diligence deluxe. Okay, we took care of that, and all the while we behaved like flypaper. We gave students assignments in the illustration department, students assignments in the design assign- department, and the photography department, and all we had to do was assemble this, this thing. It came together so beautifully, and the results have done everything they wanted us to do. Will you double the amount of applications? Will you make certain that the people at the alumni level and the trustee level respond as well as the high school seniors and make certain the art counselors do it. Every button has been pushed because it was just the students and the school and the faculty talking. To me, that was real human presence. It transcended style. All we had to do was use the typefaces that were already part of their identity system. I almost felt guilty sending invoices. Not that guilty, (laughs) but... You know what I mean? Yes. It was like, you know, get a great love. And when it was time to define what the, you know, what style do you think this typography is for the interviews? 
the president said. I said, well, I call it soft rock modernism. <laughs> he said, soft rock modernism, what's that? And I said, well, it's kind of easy listening. You know, it's not too small and it's not too big. It's flush left, it's ragged right, it has a wide measure and a sidebar. Everybody's going to get it. Everybody feels familiar with it. It doesn't look like we're trying to, you know, whack you out. It's just straight ahead soft rock modernism. Is this the project that you're most proud of in your career? Uh, no, but I'm I'm reasonably proud of it right now just because of the uh, continued feedback that we get. Now it's almost uh, six or seven months after the fact. So looking back on the, the myriad of projects that you've done over your long and illustrious career, what would you say are two of the standouts? What are you most proud of? I'm one of those guys who always looks at the most recent project and gets really jazzed. The, mm -hmm. the one project that I actually showed this morning to uh, a woman who's the head of design at Bowling Green State University, she came in here, and here's a woman who had studied architecture with Zaha Hadid at, uh, in London, and she's really with the program. So she comes in here, and I show her this project that's 16 by 20. It's 24 pages, and it's called Intelligent Design. And what it is, it's the it's a self-published project, but it grows out of our interest here at Thirst to have code make things happen smarter. Mm -hmm. So I'm firmly implanting the, my tongue in the cheek as I try to connect the dots of culture and design and religion and politics, etc. Well, I was going to ask you if this has anything to do with evolution. Of course. The subtitle to Intelligent Design is Creating an Evolved Red vs. Blue State of Mind. And here what we did was we took the book of Genesis, the King James Version, up until the part where God says, and it was good, or something like that, converted it to ones and zeros, then took and hacked the InDesign world so that it would replace all the ones with a converted to path Warhol-esque version of the Pepsi One can, and all of the zeros with the same treatment to a Coke Zero can. And so we have the red versus blue, which is also the political moment. It's also the moment of consumerism and conflict. It's polarization deluxe again. And this book is a beautiful piece of code doing the layout, 1,600 links per page times 24. It's dense with repetition. It has gilded gold subtext that tell us what this thing means so you can follow along like subtitling. And uh, it's just a kind of monotonous piece of beautiful wallpaper. But the real advantage to it is it's designed to become really large crystal-like scrims that can be rented during the political season to separate red and blue states. Sounds wonderful. Does sound wonderful? <laughs> yes. Rick, we're nearly at the end of our show. I'd like to end my show with a couple of what I call the pop culture quiz questions. Um, just a couple of questions that I've been mulling about you. Um, come and say whatever uh, comes to your mind first. Um, what do you secretly wish you could do better? Uh, what I wish I could do better is I wish I could sustain relationships really well. I wish I could reward them with all the joy they bring me. What is your favorite curse word? Fuck. Who is your best friend? Oh, my kids are my absolute best friends. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, I want to end my show today by 
answering a question that I had for you. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you is why you wrote in your book, I often wonder if I will ever have anything profound to say. And I really was curious as to whether or not you actually worried about this. And I guess it's not really an answer to the question. It's just a retort to your line, which is, I don't think you have to worry. Aw, you're sweet. So um, I want to thank you, Rick. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, we've come to the end of the show, sadly, for me. Can we say like my to... favorite word? Your favorite word is? Charisma. Oh, that is it's a religious term. Word. I know it means of the spirit or inspired. So let me just say to your viewers, we need more charisma and less posturing. Yes, absolutely. I hope everybody will join me next week with my very special guest, Ellen Lupton. Until then, please remember, we can talk about making a difference, or we can make a difference, or we can do both. I am Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Get dialed in. 1-866-233-7860. Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.